Amen. You all can be seated. I'm so excited to see you all today. So excited to be here uh, worshiping. Uh, we are continuing our family series that's called All in the Family. And I have the distinct pleasure to uh, talk about a very uh, sometimes debated topic and controversial talk- topic known as discipline. And disciplining your children specifically uh, is what we'll be diving into today. Uh, so it's probably uh, not surprising to any of you in this room, but I was not an easy child to raise. No, I was not. Now, Tony, you laughed a little too hard at that one. Uh, I was not. No, I, I, my parents were young when they had me. They were trying to figure this whole parenting thing out. And of course, I was wild and crazy and I talked way too much. And my parents, span- I think I got a spanking three times every day until I was 21. Um, and uh, no, I'm just playing. No, I did get spanked a lot. So my parents, they did. They spanked me a whole, whole lot. As a matter of fact, my Aunt Heather, uh, my mom's sister, was like, I'm going to call DSS on you if you spank him one more time. Like, like this. she was genuinely concerned. But, uh, but spankings eventually didn't work on me anymore, uh, partially because I had no hind end anymore. Uh, but I also knew that if I, I could just withstand some pain for a little bit and then do whatever I wanted after that. So my parents finally realized that the biggest asset that they had for them was my fear of missing out. Then all of a sudden it changed the game. They tried to put me in the corner at first, but that didn't work because I ended up having a bunch of conversations with myself. I'm not even joking. If my mom was here, she would testify to every bit of this right here. Not only that, so that they did was they, so then they, they changed it. And this is what finally worked. They would sit me on the end of my bed to where I could see everything in my room, all the things that I could do, but wasn't allowed to do any of it. And that was torture. And I would squirm and it just, it felt uncomfortable. I didn't like that at all, but my parents finally figured out that is what works for me. And so discipline in itself in parenting is a very debated topic. Sometimes it's controversial, but we've all asked these questions. If you're in this room and you are a parent or, or have been or, or, or even a grandparent, you've asked these questions. Should, should I spank my kids? How hard should I spank my kids? How often should I spank my kids? Should I ground them? How long should I ground them? Is there a fence that requires more grounding? Should I just ground the same across the board all the time? These questions you've probably asked yourself, and odds are at some point you've gotten it wrong. Right? Let's all be honest. At some point, we've all gotten it wrong. Now, the reality is that if we look at Paul's verse here in Ephesians chapter 6, we will understand that if we spend too much time thinking about the exact specifics of what that looks like, then we can overshadow the long-term attitude that we should have towards discipline. Paul here is hitting at a long-term view of discipline, not a specifics on whether or not you should spank or ground or whatever that may look like. So if you're in this room and you are a teenager, Uh, if you are in high school, middle school, or kids. If you're in high school, middle school, or you are younger than that, raise your hand. I need to see some hands. All right, we have a few. Raise them high, loud and proud. Lynn Bergen, you are not. Um, Good. All right, so you all can tune out. Y'all don't have to listen to another word that I say. 
Um, I will say that this sermon uh, applies to you because how your parents discipline you from here on out is probably determined on this. So I'd probably tune in, but you don't have to. Next week, Adrian is talking about the passage before this that talks about honoring your parents. So that's the one you really want to pay attention to, okay? Now, we're going to dive into uh, this topic. So as I said a second ago, Paul gives us a very, uh, a very specific understanding that we are to understand the long view attitude of disciplining. And this is what he says, that godly discipline nourishes children. Godly discipline nourishes children. One of the things to keep in mind as parents is that we are not only raising children, we are raising potential disciples of Jesus. That's what we are doing. And we have to have a long-term view in mind that will affect how we do things today, right? So uh, in Paul's time, if you look at Paul's context in which he wrote the book of Ephesians, here's what you have to understand. There were two schools of thought, two major schools of thought that were uh, paramount during this time. The first one was the Hellenistic uh, Judaism. They believed and, and kind of lived a way of life that the fathers were superior to the children, much how God is superior to us. And he lived that way. He was able to beat, to degrade, and to even lock his children up. And according to the Mosaic law in Deuteronomy chapter 21, and for the case of the child who rebelled and did not turn from their rebellion, had the authority to have them executed. That's the kind of power fathers had. So the other big family dynamic was the Roman family. The Roman family, the father had control over their kids for their entire life. For the entire life. They were able to imprison their children, to shame them, to punish them. They were even able to sell them into slavery up to three times. They could even have them killed. And if you were a child in the Roman family, your vocation of whatever you had held no weight. You could be the highest governing official in the Roman government and your dad still had power over you. That's how they saw that. So we must understand this context that when Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, that's the context he's writing out of. It's that. Paul goes a very different direction with this, a very different direction. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So Paul here in this one verse contrasts two commands, a negative command and a positive command. And the first command is this, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to to anger. Now the command here is given to fathers. Some would argue that this is actually calling for both parents, which in a way I agree that it absolutely does because the command doesn't negate mothers. You're not exempt from this command. So it's not like fathers, you can't provoke your children to anger, but moms, you can. You're good. You can do that. That's not what this is saying. The command clearly goes to both parents, but he's calling out specifically fathers in this section because of the authority that fathers had over their kids. The word provoke is used twice in all of scripture and it means to rouse to wrath. To rouse to wrath. 
So then this question probably comes to mind. Well, then how do I discipline my kids without them getting angry? You've ever wondered that question? No, you've never wondered it because every time you discipline your kids, they get what? They get angry. Yes. Kids get angry. That's what they do. When we adults are disciplined, we get angry. Right? That's part of disciplining. Paul is not giving us, hey, it's not, I'm not saying to not make them mad right now. They're going to get mad right now. Remember, he's holding a long-term view of the attitude of discipline. He is still holding a long-term view, not this very moment. We have to keep this long-term view in mind because it resonates with the rest of this passage and it resonates with everything that's been said in Ephesians so far, which we'll come back to. But we cannot forget, as parents, who we are raising. Potential disciples of Jesus. Potential husbands and wives. Potential mothers and fathers. Potential leaders. That's who we're raising. We have to keep this long-term view in mind. If we don't have this long-term view in mind and we only focus on right now, we will tend to find ourselves off course. So I was made fun of as a child for several things. Two things in specifically was, number one, I was very, very pigeon-toed growing up. So I always walked with my feet in like this, and people made fun of it quite often. And so what I would do, because I was a little insecure about my pigeon-toedness, is I was always looked down at them. I would always just look down at the ground, because I thought in my mind, if I can't make eye contact with people who sees my feet, then they don't see my feet. That was my rationale. And then what I came to realize later after years of doing this is that I never tripped on anything. I never tripped on anything. I would be walking and because I watched every step, I never tripped over stuff. So if I saw this wire right here, I'd just be like, "Mm, okay. And I'd go past it. And I used that as this place of pride. I was like, oh man, I never trip on anything. But you know what the downside was that I didn't realize until later in life? Was that because I was always looking at my feet, I never knew where I was going. So while I'd avoided obstacles, I'd probably end up across the road from my house. Like, that's true. I, there were many times in high school I found myself in the wrong hallway or I walked into the wrong classroom or even getting on the baseball field because I was looking at my feet, I missed the gate to get onto the field. And then you go to this wrong place and then I'd have to turn around and be like, wait, where am I at? And then I have to go find it again. That's what I would always have to do. Parenting is like that. Parenting is like that. If we don't look at the path we're on, we're liable to not be on it later. If we're only focused on this very moment or this one instance or this one moment of discipline and we're not looking at this long-term view of who our kids could potentially be and who we are trying to raise them to be, then we'll be down the road and we'll look back and we're like, man, I'm so off course. Because when that happens, we aren't guiding our children. Our children are guiding us. We cannot be unaware of the path that our kids are on. We have to look ahead. We have to guide them in that way. I'll drop it down to more specific. One of the most dangerous times to discipline your kids is when you are annoyed, when your pride has been injured, or when you've lost your temper. Now, moment of truth. 
Raise your hand if any of you all have ever made rash decisions in any of those moments. Yes. And it works out good for nobody. It, it almost never does. Why? Because in that moment, your flesh is taken over. It's inconvenient. You're annoyed. Your pride is hurt. It's like being at Walmart and your kid won't stop crying and people are staring at you, right? You just want to take your kid out in the parking lot and kick them. Like, right? Like, you've had those moments, but those aren't proper times for discipline because you're, you're acting in a fleshly way. And odds are you're either going to go too far or you're not going to discipline enough because you've not thought about it. We have to keep this long view in mind. You see, provoking your children to anger is making sure your kids are obedient to only your authority. We should be showing our children that our obedience is to God's authority. That our obedience is to God's authority and his alone. Should your kids find you authoritative? Most definitely. But because you're following the authority of God. We have to remember as we are raising children that we are not just shaping behavior, we are shepherding their hearts. We are shepherding their hearts. But in order to understand that, we first as adults, as parents, as grandparents have to first understand that we before we can discipline, we must first be disciplined. We must first be disciplined. Proverbs ten seventeen says this, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. If we are not willing as adults, as parents, as grandparents to receive instruction in being disciplined ourselves, then we have no right to discipline anyone. Because if we cannot stand under the authority of God himself with his godly instructions for our lives, then how are we even paving the path for our kids to live up that same way? We're not. We're not. No, it is our job to make sure that our children know that the authority is God's and we are obedient to that. Do you heed instruction as you expect children to respect yours? If not, here's what I would suggest. Is number one, pray. Pray for God to humble your heart to receive instruction. Pray for that. Because I know as someone myself who struggles with pride and like sometimes I think I know all the answers. I think I know exactly what's going on and someone wants to give me advice on something. I'm like, hold up. You don't know. The truth is, is that they may know more than I could ever possibly imagine. And their instruction could be exactly what I need. And being in a life group has been one of the most life-changing things for me. Because I'm surrounded by people who not only care about me and care about my spiritual growth and will see any sins that they think that I'm committing that they see in me and call it out. Not only that, but even if they see that I'm not parenting correctly or maybe I make a rash decision or maybe I make a decision for my kid that they feel like wasn't the best decision, they're willing to step up and say, I don't think that's it. And I need that. I need that. Because I don't have all the answers. 
and neither do you. You don't. We must be disciplined in order to discipline. To get a little more specific, we'll just keep narrowing this down. You will provoke your children to anger when you expect too much, put them down, or treat them unjustly. You will provoke your children to anger when you expect too much, put them down, or treat them unjustly. I will put out a blog this week that dives into these a little bit more specific, but I will briefly touch on these. When you first expect too much, these are irritating or unreasonable demands that you may be putting on your children. Maybe it's that they have perfect academic scores. Or maybe it's that they excel on the ball field or the ball court. And all the pressure is on whether or not they get a college scholarship. It could be that you do not want your children to be immature at all, and so you give them no grace for the inexperience of life that they have. That you're seven now, grow up. Well, they're seven. They, they don't know what grown up is because they're seven. That is expecting too much. That will later in life, they will look back and they will have anger for that. Secondly, when you put them down, harshness, cruelty, sarcasm would fall under this. Being discouraging, all these fall under this category and you put them down and they don't feel worthy. They don't feel worthy of your love. They don't feel worthy to be in your house. And in no way do they receive the grace that God has given us. And lastly, when you treat them unjustly, this would, what would fall under this would be overprotection, favoritism, using love as a tool for punishment or reward, giving it if they're good, but withdrawing yourself if they're bad. That is unjust. And later in life, they will feel like they have to earn everything. To give you an example of favoritism, which is actually found in Scripture, Jacob and Esau. Isaac favored Esau. Rachel favored Jacob, which not only led to the splitting of this family then, but caused a rift for the next many generations because of favoritism. It is a long-term view. A long-term view. So what do I do? Evaluate. Evaluate what you're doing. Evaluate your goals. Is your goal for your kid to be the smartest child on the planet? Is your goal for your kid to be the next LeBron James? That might be a little too far. Evaluate your goals because everything you do now is leading to something. Do you want your goal to be that your child grows up to be in God's image or your image? I don't want my kid to look like me. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I get angry way too fast. I'm short-tempered. 
I think I'm talented at things I'm not really talented at. I don't want my kid to look like me. I need him to look like Jesus. I need him to look like Jesus. So Paul gives these two commands, the first one being, don't provoke your children to anger. And then secondly, he says, discipline with godly instruction. Discipline with godly instruction. Paul switches gears to a completely positive command. Now this phrase, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The phrase bring them up in the Greek is all one word, and that word means to nourish. It's very odd for us in our society and even in Paul's day, which is why this is so important, that the term nourish would be used with fathers. It's not often used that way. Fathers are usually characteristically not the nourishing, nurturing parent of the family. But Paul says to fathers, nourish them. How? Nourish them in the discipline. Now, nourishment and discipline are not separated. They're used together. As a matter of fact, nourishment is brought about through discipline. The word discipline is not an evil word. As a matter of fact, discipline is one of the most loving and nourishing acts that a parent can give to their child. It is our God-ordained process that builds disciples of Jesus. Now, in today's culture, which is very different from this culture, we tend to err on the side of no discipline. We do. Maybe because we've seen bad discipline or we've experienced bad discipline, but you need to hear me when I say this. The opposite of bad discipline is not no discipline. The opposite of bad discipline is correct discipline. It's a godly discipline. Discipline is nourishing to our children. Discipline without instruction Discipline without instruction is punishment. Discipline with instruction is biblical. Discipline without instruction is punishment. Discipline with instruction is biblical. So I have this picture uh, up on the screen. And does anybody know what this is, by the way? Anybody? Anybody? What's funny is that the 8 a.m. service, they all guessed it right at the exact same time on the first try. This is, these are tomato plants. All right, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, the, these are tomato plants, all right? So I know nothing about gardening. I had, to, uh, I had to rely on somebody else's expertise about this uh, specific illustration. So tomato plants, right? You see that these tomato plants are tied to these stakes that are standing upright. The reason that they do so uh, is that you tie the tomato plant to the stakes so that they'll grow upright because if you don't, uh, the, the tomato plant will still grow on the ground. It's just when the tomatoes that they are producing are rubbing the ground, they rot faster. And so if you cause them to go straight upright with the stake, then the tomatoes aren't dragging to the ground. Therefore, they last longer. All right? So, the tomato plant doesn't know that. The tomato plant doesn't know if I grow upright, then the tomatoes that I produce will last longer and all of you humans will enjoy them longer. The tomato plant doesn't know that. No, 
the tomato plant just grows like it knows to grow. It has to be helped. It has to be tied to the stake in order to do what it is supposed to do. And disciplining our children has to be this way. It can't just be grow. Grow, tomato plant. You need to grow, and you need to make sure that the tomatoes last a long time. Why? Because the tomatoes won't do it. They don't know how. No, you have to put a stake in the ground, and then you have to tie the tomato plant to the stake, and more so as it continues to grow, because the tomato plant keeps growing up. And eventually you're going to have to tie it again, or it's going to grow too big. In the same way, when we discipline our kids, we can't just give them uh, the discipline and hope that they figure it out on their own. No, what we have to do is when we do discipline them, we then tie them to ourselves and we walk this road with them because they don't know what it means to grow and be mature. As parents, this is our job to tie ourselves to our children, to walk alongside them on this path, not to just send them off by themselves, but to walk with them. That is what we are called to do. You see, we discipline our children as God disciplines his. We discipline our children as God disciplines his. Hebrews 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, we do not live as brothers and sisters in Christ without being disciplined by God. As a matter of fact, according to Hebrews 12, it is proof that we are his legitimate children when we have been disciplined, not punished, not forsaken, not neglected, disciplined. That's what it says. You see, he is pruning us every day to grow into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. He is pruning us each and every day because he promised to do. He promised that he wouldn't do to us what he did to Jesus. And what is that? Isaiah 53 Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, God promised never to do to his children what he did to his son, Jesus, which was to put him on the cross to take our sin and our shame and everything that we have that is against God to put it there and to completely forgive us of our sins. No longer holding it over our head, but as we sang the song just a minute ago, he washed us white as snow. That is what God did for his children. 
to send Jesus to come to us. Now, we look at this passage in Ephesians chapter six, and this is one verse. We've only been talking about one verse, but please understand that the length of this one passage that we are going over, the, the, the power and the authority of it is not negated because it's only one verse, because everything that has been said in the book of Ephesians before this leads to this. In Ephesians chapter two, when it says, you were once enemies of God, you were literally dead in your trespasses, but God through his grace and mercy saved you. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself, but it is a gift of God so that you may not boast about it. And then after that, it says, for you are his workmanship. Oh, and he's working on us every day, amen? He is. He is working on us daily. And do you know how? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what God didn't do as the parent. Go to your room and figure it out. He didn't say, I need you to go figure out how to be a better son for me. I don't, know, I don't need you to go figure out how to be a better daughter for me. I've given you all the instruction you need and I've given you the Holy Spirit to walk alongside you, to tie himself to you like the tomato plant is tied to that stake every single day. He's walking alongside with you. Never is there a day that you go by where the Holy Spirit is not trying to prune you into his son, Jesus Christ. Not a day goes by. Not a day. So we discipline our children as God disciplines his, which is that he walks beside us through everything. And we are to walk with everything with our kids. We have to in order for them to grow. So what do I do? A few points of application here. Firstly, wait to discipline. It is a misconception that in the moment I have to discipline every situation right now. That's, that's not good because when you're in Nepalis and your kid's throwing food and your pride is hurt and you're frustrated, it's not going to end well for anybody, right? Wait, wait. Take some time to think. Take some time to pray. Even seek godly counsel from people. Secondly, follow through. Follow through. A threat to discipline your child is not discipline. A threat is a threat. And once they know that they can get by with a threat, now they have power. Follow through. This is coming from someone who has a kid who the moment he knows he's in trouble, completely falls apart. Completely beats himself up, cries, inconsolable. But I still have to follow through. He needs to know that I mean what I say and I say what I mean. So you may be sitting here thinking, well, what, if I, what do I do if I, I don't know if I've done this right? It's okay to apologize. It's okay to say, I didn't do this right. Hey, from the years of 13 to 17, I don't know what I was doing. That could be one of the greatest gifts to your kids that you don't know. And it's discipline for us as parents to do that. All right. Grandparents, it's time. It's the application for all the grandparents in the room. All right. Support 
the parents in this. Don't try to overshoot their authority. Don't, if, 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 and this is coming from, my kid has four sets of grandparents, so I say this with passion and like vigor, okay? If, if the parent says no, it's no. I know that you all want to be the grandparents that give the kids everything they want and be the cool ones, but once the kids know that you have more authority than their parents, then, then they know. And I'll give you an example. When my sister and I were younger, there was this blue rocking chair in the living room, and it was right in front of the TV. It was the prom spot to watch TV. And we fought. It, it was really first come, first serve. But, you know, obviously when you're siblings, the rule doesn't apply if you get up to go to the bathroom or get up to get. So we were fighting over it one day, and my mom had enough. She'd had enough. And this is on Facebook Live, and I, will, I promise you we'll have a text message the moment I'm done preaching a scalding text message from my mother <laughs> about this, is my mom goes in there, grabs that chair, and throws it out in the front yard. Chucks it. I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done with the frack. I'm completely finished with y'all fighting all the time. Just chucks it. Like, I was kind of impressed how far she threw it, actually. <laughs> well, she just chucks this thing. And so, of course, my, me and my sister are, you know, like, distraught. Well, my sister knows immediately what to do. So she goes into their bedroom, which is where our one phone was, because that's how life was. Uh, it was a corded phone, so you couldn't leave the room with it. And she goes in there, and she dials uh, my mom's mom. Uh, Mama, mom just threw our chair out in the front yard. Complete snitch, just complete. <laughs> so then, of course, my mama does what my mama does. Well, put your mom on the phone right now. We knew we knew who held the authority. Just call Mamma. She'll take care of this, right? So, so grandparents, support, support the authority of the parents. Don't undermine them. If you have a real issue with a way or specifically how your children are disciplining your grandchildren, then it's okay to have that conversation with them, but not in this moment. At another time when the kids aren't around, Okay? Lastly, lastly, long-term view. We are to nurture our kids in God's image, not ours. We have to keep that on the forefront. That our children are God's and we want to give him back, give our kids back to him. So let's do that. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And I thank you for your many blessings. I thank you for the opportunity to be here, to be able to talk through your word, to be able to hear from you, to be able to worship. God, I pray that as we, um, in this room, for those of us who are parents or grandparents, Lord, I pray that you, that you help us do what we need to do, that you continue to work in us, disciplining us every single day, pruning us to look more like your son, Jesus, so that we can, in turn, discipline our kids in the same vein, that we can help them grow to be more like Jesus and less like ourselves, less like the world, more like Jesus. Lord, help us as we walk through this together. It is in your name we pray. Amen.